You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national and international events this to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting this week's edition of the Anarchist World This Week on your local community radio station across Australia, north to south, east to west, in every state and possibly every territory. This program is streaming... For Streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. Obviously, if you're listening to this program, you're listening to community radio. Community radio continues to play an important function as far as the dissemination of ideas is concerned. If any of you have the misfortune, the misfortune... M-I-S-F-O-R-T-U-N-E of listening to the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC, listening, watching, surfing the net, you name it, you know the drivel and the shit that's out there and that's why you listen to the Anarchist World this week for some pedantic, esoteric analysis. Let's move on. If we can't laugh, what can we do? I remember Emma Goldman used to say, if I can't dance in your revolution, I don't want any revolution. As I can't dance, I want to sing. Now, I'm confused. Obviously, I'm confused. But I'm confused. I'm not confused by the definition of anarchy or anarchos without rulers. The anarchist struggles, the struggle to create a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people around the world today inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggles the struggle to devolve power, share power, possibly through direct democratic means, and the struggle to hold in wealth in common and use for the common good. But I'm really confused because we live in a topsy-turvy world, don't we? Topsy-turvy. It's a nice little phrase, topsy-turvy. Reminds me of those uh, fair rides, you know, when you're in that little cage and you're spinning around all of a sudden... You're upside down. Everything drops out of your pockets and you start feeling sick. And I'm feeling sick. I'll tell you why. Everybody talks about the economy. The economy. You know, politicians, media commentators, CEOs. goes on and on. The economy. As if the economy is something some independent life form with a soul and a heart. The economy. We need to do this for the economy. 
We need to do that for the economy. We need to starve for the economy. We need to have a high unemployment rate for the economy. We need to have poverty for the economy. We need to do this and that, to have billionaires in the economy. And I'm thinking, what? What's all this crap? What's all this crap about talk the economy? The economy is basically the interrelationship between people in a defined geographical zone. And that defined geographical zone, as far as we're concerned, obviously is Australia and the rest of the world. It's not about some independent thing that exists outside of human activity. It's us. <coughs> it's what we allow. <coughs> now, I've been poisoned, haven't I? That's what happens when you eat a biscuit before a program. Um, <coughs> the economy. <coughs> Some independent little thing runs around saying, I'm the economy, I'm the economy, feed me, feed me, feed me, I'm hungry. What a topsy-turvy world. Here we are, sacrificing ourselves, our futures, our children's futures, our friends' futures, our workmates' futures, <coughs> to kickstart the economy. I mean, there are billions of different types of economies, well, millions, maybe a few hundred. I mean, the type of economy we have today is the economy you expect in a topsy-turvy world, an economy which produces billionaires and which sees people living rough on the streets. Is that a good economy? Is that the type of economy we should embrace? Should we embrace an economy which prevents people from having a roof over their head, a permanent secure roof over their head, because it's good for a minority of investors. So when people talk about the economy, they don't know what they're talking about. The economy is nothing more the, than the interpersonal relationships which occur in our society. And for far too long, the culture, that's right, the culture that we are enveloped in is a culture of profits for profit's sake. Now, those of you who believe in the concept of a nice corporation, you know, socially aware corporate entity, need to remember that their economy is based on creating ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders and obviously their major office holders in that particular corporation. That's their economy and that's why CEO salaries increase by 15% while worker salaries increase at a level less than inflation. That's their economy. So their economy is not our economy. Economies come and go. They're made and broken. And to a significant degree, they're based on cultural attitudes. And unfortunately, most of the cultural attitudes that we as a people have is an attitude which values competition before cooperation. 
which values inequality. That's right. Values it because we think that we can all become billionaires through our own efforts, can't we? Hmm? Or be part of the gig economy and pedal a bicycle to deliver somebody some food. We can all become billionaires as long as we start at the bottom of the heap. So it's a really topsy-turvy world. And to a significant degree, I don't blame our political representatives. I don't even blame the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. I don't blame the 8% of people in the investment class who've mainly invested in residential property because of uh, government uh, programs and legislation. I blame us. I blame us for accepting the current economic parameters, for accepting that we need to aspire to acquire more, to consume more, to protect our little patch at the expense of everybody else, to compete for limited resources. So ultimately it's about culture, the culture that has been built up around us, a cultural milieu to a significant degree which has nothing to do with human needs, the satisfaction of real human needs. It's about manufactured human needs to improve profitability. And whether your CEO is gay or, or a woman or black or pink or yellow or green or has six feet or two heads is irrelevant because they're all part of the same cultural milieu. And I found it fascinating whenever a corporation feels a little bit under pressure, they are a point, a non-heterosexual white CEO. It's fascinating. And does it really change anything? Ah, well, not really. Not really. And that's the problem. The economy is us. And unless we are willing to make those major changes to aspire, that's right, aspire, not to acquire, but aspire to share power and health, wealth in common, we will continue to be faced with the same topsy-turvy world where the rich get richer, the powerful get more powerful, and the rest of us are nothing more than spectators in a theatre that we don't participate in. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. The cat's out of the bag. I like that. I don't know if you realise where that uh, analogy comes from. When I was a little kid, my uh, dad used to put all the excess kittens in a bag, take them down to the uh, bush and say, off you go, little critters, make your own life. That's what they mean by the cat's out of the bag. It's fascinating. The voice referendum I'm finding fascinating. What I'm finding fascinating is not the fact that the, you know, having a a voice. But what I find fascinating is how different people with different opinions have kind of 
coalesced into an unholy coalition, a really unholy coalition. Because ultimately the voice was just part of a three-pronged attack from the uh, Uluru Statement from the Heart, the 2017 Statement from the Heart, which was made, which was a majority position, made by delegates, not representatives, delegates from the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities from across the country at Uluru. And they wanted a voice enshrined in the Constitution, a treaty and a truth-telling component to their struggle. I mean... I've really been fascinated by this unholy alliance regarding both the no and yes camp, mainly the no camp. We've got people with diametrically opposed views coming together, encouraging people to vote no. And I thought to myself, this is fascinating. Fascinating. But then I noticed that Mr Dutton, who's been at the head of this movement, let the cat out of the bag. Because he said the Liberal Party, if they gain power, the Liberal National Coalition would love to hold another referendum to enshrine First Nations people in the Australian Constitution... Sorry, to enshrine a referendum to enshrine First Nations people in the Constitution... But no voice. No voice. You see, what most people have forgotten is, whether you like it or not, and I don't particularly like it, I've looked at the Australian Constitution over the years and it's not much of a document, whether you like it or not, it's the DNA of the legislative agenda. And it was fascinating that Mr Dutton said, oh, you know, we're happy to recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders in the Constitution as long as they don't have a voice. Because once in the constitutional DNA, only the people for a referendum can change that constitutional process, unless obviously there's a revolutionary process and obviously there's no revolutionary process in the, in the wings. So think about it. A treaty is nothing more than an agreement between one party and the government of the day. A referendum is about the people of the country, this country, incorporating decision in the DNA of the country, the very DNA, what makes us as a country as far as the the constitutional arrangements are concerned. So think about it. I know you're all thinking about what you're going to do, whether you're going to abscond, abstain, vote yes, vote no. But think about it. You've got to remember all political change is based on culture. And culture is based... Changes in culture are dependent on political momentum. And the political momentum for the Whitlam Labor government to... uh, grant land rights to people in the Northern Territory was based on the 1967 Constitution which removed the power of the states to make uh, legislation regarding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and that power by the Australian people was given to the federal government at that particular point in stage. That was that momentum 
the same we saw with the Mabo decision. Now, obviously, it's not what everybody wants, especially those who continue to deny the rights and existence of First Nations people in this country. So as I said before, I'll be voting yes, and I'm happy to vote yes. I don't think it's the end of the struggle, it's the beginning. It's about momentum, it's about cultural change, it's about the Australian people deciding that after 200 and, what is it, 230 plus years of colonisation, that not only the original inhabitants need to be recognised, but processes need be, to be put in place to ensure their voice is heard, the struggle for a treaty continues, and truth-telling becomes part and parcel of everyday life. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, just a little aside, it only happened... Well, I only found about it today. I'm sure you knew about it years ago. Now, a lot of people don't seem to understand that Russia and North Korea have had a long, long, long association. And if you look at both flags, they're the same colours. And to a significant degree, most of the North Korean leadership in the revolutionary stage after World War, you know, pre-World War II, were Russian-trained and Russian-supported. And it's interesting to note that North Korea is one of the few places on the planet that has famines. And to a significant degree, these famines are, how shall I put it, are engineered through sanctions. Sanctions have a huge impact. And it's interesting to see the North Korean despot meeting the Russian despot in an attempt to strike a deal for arms for food. You know, you could resolve the problem tomorrow if you don't want the North Korean despot to deal with the Russian despot by um, removing most of the sanctions, especially sanctions regarding basic necessities and food around North Korea and to a lesser degree around Cuba. Think about it. Now, I think I've said that too often, think about it. You don't think about it. Why would we? We've got all these wonderful diversions. I understand the Rolling Stones are going to give us an octogenarian performance here in Australia if we're willing to empty our pockets. And if you listen to the Government Guild at ABC in the news program in the mornings on the television, you know, or where social media, there's always some, you know, some great entertainment guru who's got their hands going for your pocket, you know, to free advertising. Yeah, well. But obviously there are more important issues. Alan Joyce. Poor Alan Joyce. Now, I'm sure Mr Alan Joyce doesn't have a friend in the world, possibly me, you know. He doesn't have a friend in the world today. He'll be looking forward to going back to Ireland and get away from all these pesky losers in the land of Oz. I don't blame him. For over 17 years, he was the guru, the pin-up boy, the number one CEO. As he de-unionised 
Qantasist. As his company flirted with quasi-legal arrangements to employ people for over 38, that's right, different companies in order to, um, how shall I put it, bypass standard industrial relations laws in order to increase profitability for the major shareholders and the board of Qantas. Because remember, Qantas may be our national airline because eh? it's got a kangaroo on its bloody tail and it does nice advertisements for little kiddies singing songs, you know, to pull their heartstrings. But ultimately, it's just another private corporation. And while they were taking out on workers, not a peep. The Port Transport Workers Union was it pulling their hair out. Not a peep from the corporate-owned media, the government gilded ABC, the occasional news item, but not a peep. Nobody cared. We didn't care. When Qantas was privatised, did we care? No. When it made extraordinary profits, did we care? No. When it was given $2.8 billion during the COVID pandemic, did we care? No. But now, all of a sudden, we care. And also, it's all about Alan Joyce. And who's succeeded him, as you'd expect? He's deputy. Now, look, I've been around a long time. Now, I do know how companies work, all right? I do know how companies work. And they're not dictatorships. They've got a board which appoints a CEO. And they've got a head of a board which directs the board. And they've got shareholders who expect a dividend from their investment. Then they've got a CEO, and then they've got a managerial elite, and then they've got everybody else out there, you know, doing the hard work, making the bucks. And then you've got the C word, the customer. Now, if you want to maximise your profits, you've got to do two things. It doesn't matter whether you're the CEO of Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, you know, Alan Joyce, whether you're the CEO of Bunnings or Westfield or whatever you're the CEO of. You've got two options by which, well, you've actually got three, my apologies, three options by which to maximise profits. One, lean on the government of the day to pass legislation which improves your economic position. Okay? And we see that constantly. Option two, screw your staff. And we've seen that in the last 30 to 40 years. And Yes, I'm going to use those four words again. During the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation and globalisation phase of our economic recovery, you know, the economy, that soulless beast we keep worshipping, you know. Throw out mammon, bring on the economy. Now, obviously, Mr Joyce had a tick of approval from the board. He had a tick of approval from the shareholders, especially the major shareholders, as they made extraordinary changes to their workplace situation to improve their profits. And then, obviously, he had a tick of approval 
from the board when they started playing hardball with their customers, relying on a hard-built reputation which had been built not when it was privatised, but which had been built when it was a publicly owned company. So, Mr Joyce, go back to Ireland. Enjoy your ill-gotten gains. You're no different from any other CEO. But here in Australia, let's get the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC to actually look at the situation as how it should look at. Let's ask the Qantas board to resign. And more importantly, let's create a new publicly-owned airline, which will then be this country's airline, as in most other countries, most other sovereign nation-states have a publicly owned airline to suit their people. And let's see where people move to as far as who they're going to use. If I, I'm old enough to remember when Qantas was a publicly owned company, I always made the effort to fly in in a publicly owned company and I always made the effort to bank in a publicly owned bank and I always made the effort to be part of a publicly owned telecommunications company because I knew that if I had issues, I didn't have to rely on some regulatory board which didn't have enough staff or legislation to allow it to regulate a particular private corporation. I knew that I could put pressure on the political representatives for change. And I knew that any profit that was made by those particular publicly owned corporations would go back to the Treasury to look after the needs of the people of this country. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. A few websites. Look, if you're sick of all this crap, I encourage you to look at the Public Interest Before Corporate Interests webpage, and more importantly, that's pibci.net. I encourage you to join. You can do it online. It's very simple. Have a look at the webpage, see what they stand for. I'm actually I'm actually the registered officer for Public Interest Before Corporate Interest and also one of the fa- surviving foundation members because, as you know, so foundation members t- tend to die. That's, the, that's what happens in life. We get older, we move on, we get younger. We're burdened by debt and expectation. Let's move on. Oh, yeah, a few, a few websites. Uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, YouTube channel. There's about 300 presentations on um, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. My God, what is all that noise? What is all that noise? Obviously, that's me, most likely. I've, uh, I'm a bad boy. Yeah, that's all the noise. Maybe it's God calling me to heaven. Oh, or my friend Lucifer calling me to join him in hell for a barbecue. Who knows? This is the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. The right to strike. What right to strike? Hmm? Now, the next uh, 10 days or so, there'll be a new YouTube uh, 
going up on the public interest before corporate interest YouTube channel on the right to strike. Now, we're told we're a freedom-loving country. We have all the freedoms in the world. Freedom of speech, if you're able to not, how shall I put it, topple the universe if you're not. We've got constitutional arrangements that can take care of you. And unlike those despotic nations with despots, workers have the right to withdraw their labour. What a load of crap. There is no right to strike in this country. So much legislation has been passed over the last 40 years that has made the idea that you have a right to strike laughable. Under current legislation, you can only take protected industrial action during an enterprise bargaining agreement period once you've jumped through about 64 hoops and then it can be taken to the Fair Work Commission to make sure you don't take that one hour and 64, one hour and 34 minutes off work. That's your right to strike. So what happens if you've really had enough, you've really had enough and you go on a wildcat? That's what it's called, a wildcat strike. Hmm? Well, they don't want martyrs. They don't want you in jail. All right? They frighten people in another way. They want to bankrupt you. They want to bankrupt your union. Hmm? That's right. Bankrupt you. Bankrupt your union. If you do a wildcat strike, and these penalties have been imposed, you can be fined $10,000. That's the individual worker. $10,000 per day. And this legislation was used in West Australia a few years ago. Your union can be bankrupted. So much legislation has been passed that union membership in this country is less than 20% or around 20%. And most of that revolves around union membership in the public sector, not the private sector. I think union membership in the private sector is around 11 to 12%. And if you remove the CFMEU from that equation, it drops down to about 5 or 6%. Unions with 2 million members are down to 250,000 members. And this happened for a variety of reasons. Individual contracts where you can negotiate with a corporation. <laughs> you know, uh, that's wonderful. Individual contracts are all the go, aren't they? It's all about flexibility they love the word flexibility the ability to flex you until your back breaks and where have all the corporate owned media government guild at ABC church representatives mosque representatives religious representatives politicians at the state and federal level where have they all been sleeping sleeping when these laws have been passed. Why do you think, why do you think we have in this country sick pay, holiday pay? We used to have holiday load leaving, but that's disappeared. 
fixed hours of work? Well, for some people. Because of the struggle that has taken place over decades, over 150 years, regarding workers taking action, combining and taking action to improve their situation, whether they're in a public employment or private employment. Today, there are so many laws around restricting the activities of trade unions and restricting the activities of workers that it's impossible to strike without major ramifications. And unless tens of thousands of people are willing to break those laws, they'll continue to be used to intimidate people. Why do you think, in a period of labour shortage, which is coming to an end, but in a period of labour shortage, wages didn't go up? After the bloody plague, the Black Plague, in Europe, where 60, I think 40 to 50% of adults died, wages skyrocketed because there was a shortage of labour. Here, there's a shortage of labour. Wages don't go up because people don't have the right to remove their labour to improve their situation. Reminds me of the 1st of March, 1822. On the 1st of March, 1822... James Strater, a ticket of leave man, ex-convict, working on the estate of Hannibal MacArthur, who uh, had a, amassed a full fortune using three labour and using three land, which had been stolen from this country's First Nations people, had a problem. During the lambing season... James Strater organised the first strike in Australia. And he was charged. Appeared at the Liverpool Magistrates Court in Sydney and he was charged with this heinous offence of inciting his master's servants to combine. That's the key, to get together, to combine, to oblige him to raise their wages and improve their rations. This evil man, James Strater, was found guilty by three magistrates. And what was his what was his punishment? Was it a ten thousand dollar a day fine? No, they didn't have. Well, they did have holy dollars in those days, but that's a different story. What was his punishment? Five hundred. Lashes with a cat of nine tail. Could you imagine that? Your back being stripped bare by 500 lashes in the one setting, not 50 at a time, 500. And the possibility of infection, the bones protruding through the scapula, protruding through the back as the whip rained down 500 times. And then, if he was lucky enough to survive, he was sentenced to one month's solitary confinement on bread and water. Could you imagine that? 500 lashes thrown into a dark, damp cell, no sunlight, festering sores on his back. If he didn't die of septicemia, he'd be lucky. On bread and water. And if he survived that, Five years 
penal servitude. Well, they've got much more sophisticated these days. They bankrupt you. They hound you. They ostracise you. They marginalise you if you try to improve your situation. In an era where we've got more billionaires and millionaires than we've ever had, where the difference in income between the rich and the poor has quadrupled, you know, it's just extraordinary. I mean, Gina earns about $10,000 every 22 seconds. A person on Social Security benefit would earn maybe 20000 if they're lucky during the year. It's just extraordinary. You know, you get an electricity bill and you think, what? Then you get this bill, you get that bill, you get this bill, you get that bill. Then you go to the supermarket and you see this and you see that. And you can't withdraw your labour. And we call ourselves a democratic society. Well, think about it. The only way forward is mass resistance. I know it sounds dramatic. It's not about one or two martyrs. It's about mass resistance. Let them fill the jails with striking unionists, all right? Try to take them to court, see what happens. Because the fact is that if you can't withdraw your labour, it's nothing more than a dictatorship. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. The axis of evil. <laughs> no, not the traditional axis of evil, but the ax, the real axis of evil is in uproar. There's hysteria. Hysteria on social media and the legacy media and in the the opposition. There is total hysteria in the corporate world, in the media. Hysteria. Evil. Evil. We're here. (laughs) And what's this all about? Well, the Labor government, that's right, the federal Labor government, is going to pass some minuscule, minuscule, changes the industrial relations law to criminalise wage theft and a few other little cosmetic bits and pieces which really will have not much impact on the corporate world considering the ever-increasing profits during in a period when you know, wages are going down. Hmm? I mean, this legislation even excludes small business. So we can't have the usual thing, small business getting up and going, meow, 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 this is going to bankrupt me, this is going to bankrupt me because I've got to pay some workers, you know? But Mr Dutton comes out and says, this is an attack, an attack on the economy. And I thought, mmm, it's that economy again, you know, that soulless piece of garbage, the economy. Mmm. And there is momentum. Because culturally, we have changed as a people. I've noticed those changes. I've seen those changes. Then you've seen those changes. We now see trade unions as criminal organisations. Their executive is a criminal cartel. Workers combining to improve their situation, as James Strader attempted to do to his peril, personal peril, you know, some type of criminal activity. 
a four-hour strike becomes, during an enterprise bargaining agreement period, becomes some type of national calamity. <laughs> the hysteria. You see, what you've got to understand, that's your problem, you know. You're like me, you're stupid, all right? We're stupid. Well, I'm stupid for being here, to be honest, talking to four walls. But, you know, I'm stupid. Maybe you're stupid if you believe what I'm telling you. You know, because you realise that theft isn't theft. Now, if you go and steal, you know, some goods from somewhere and you're caught and you're charged with theft, you go to court, you may get a custodial sentence, you may not, you may get a fine, you'll be asked to pay restitution, but theft, you know, but under the previous legislation, if you stole from your workforce, that's right, if you didn't pay them the right amount, if you shortchanged them, and you did it on purpose, not through a mistake, and obviously everybody can make mistakes, even large corporations with large uh, uh, payroll divisions can make mistakes, can't they? Yeah. But you see, wage theft is not theft, all right? You're going down to uh, a local supermarket and uh, stuff in your pockets with uh, some stuff or that, and you get caught. That's theft. T-H-E-F-T, and you will pay the price. But under the previous legislation, or the current legislation, as this new legislation has been passed through Parliament, theft is not theft. You can't be prosecuted. You pay the fine, which is less than the theft, and you go on your business. It's part of conducting your business. So when we've got a government which is willing to make some minor reforms to ensure that theft is theft, as, as far as wage theft is concerned, it's the end of the known world. And that's the problem. That's the culture we live under. That any attack, any attack on a small section that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange of communication and the investment class is not tolerated. Not tolerated. It's seen as the end of the world. And you have all these powerful entities combining to create this culture where we are supposed to kind of smile kowtow, bend over when their interests are threatened by legislation, not by strikes or revolts or revolutions, but by legislation to show a little bit of fairness in the system. You know, that's the culture. We think, oh, oh. Poor Twiggy, poor Clive, poor Gina, poor Lachlan. Oh, the poor people, the things they've got to put up with. But we're happy to tolerate a million children living in poverty in a country this rich. We're happy to tolerate increasing levels of homelessness, property owners gouging rents. We're willing to tolerate people waiting years in a public 
waiting list for surgery? Well, if you've got private insurance, you can do it to- tomorrow? We're willing to tolerate billions of dollars of taxpayers' money going to you know, privately owned schools to inculcate people with their own culture of superiority as opposed to putting that money in publicly owned education facilities. We're supposed to tolerate all this and say, tut, tut. But when it comes to Mr Joyce and Qantas gouging their employees for years, when it comes to robo-debt, which went on and on for over four years, which caused the deaths and misery to many Australians on Social Security benefits. And there was no peep, no peep, you know, from the regulatory authorities which are supposed to protect us from exploitation, from the courts, from the corporate-owned media. What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to say, thank you, Master... Oh, thank you, boss. Thank you, thank you, thank you for giving me the privilege of holding a poorly paid job. Will you steal your wages from me? And I can have a few weeks holiday on the never-never. Blah, blah, blah. Thank you, boss. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Lachlan. Thank you, Clive. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much for allowing me to exist on this planet. Thank you for destroying my children's future by ensuring that there's not enough money for public education. Thank you for ensuring my grandparents can't get a hospital bed in a reasonable amount of time. They've got to live in pain for the next three to four years waiting for a hip replacement. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But when it comes, that's the culture. It's a culture of acquiescence. We have become the great murmuring people. Murmur, murmur, murmur under our breaths. But not willing to take that next step. What do you think would happen if there were 100,000 people in each capital city every day getting out in the bloody streets demanding an end to the housing crisis? I can assure you the public housing sector would grow exponentially in the next 12 months. It's an old saying. Reforms reign. Reforms reign during a period of confrontation. Obviously, there's reaction from the state to try to contain that confrontation, contain that protest. But as the protests gain momentum, reforms reign because reforms are possible. They're possible and they're needed. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, Broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Look, just in case, just in case you're interested, I'm not going to use the care word, that's a horrible word, but you're interested in the fate of the West Papuan people. Now, the West Papua is 70 kilometres from the Australian coastline. It's got an Indigenous population of around 1.1 million. It was taken over by Indonesia over 60 years ago. During that period... Over a half a million West Papuans have died unnecessarily because of the continuing warfare that is a battle of resistance that occur in in that country. There is one Indonesian troop, soldier, whatever you like to call them, in West Papua for every adult West Papuan male. Could you imagine that? 
you just imagine you're going out in the street now, as soon as the program finishes, or now if you're sick of it, and have a look around. And if every second person you saw was a khaki-clad soldier with a submachine gun who had no right being there and occupying force, how would you feel? Now, I've been the convener of the West Papua Rent Collective for now over nine years, almost nine years. The West Papua Rent Collective was established to pay the rent on a substantial office for the West Papua Independence Movement in Melbourne. And we've been paying the rent, that's not me personally, but the West Papua Rent Collective, for the last nine years. And we've kept that office open. We don't interfere in how the West Papuans run the office. We don't interfere in their political program. We provide the money so they can utilise the space to promote the West Papuan independence struggle around the world. Three or four times a year, we gather at the West Papuan office for a, a meal, listen to guest speakers, take part in an auction of, you know, handmade goods, all to help the West Papuan office to continue. Because it does, it's only, I think there's only two West Papuan offices out in the world. It's at 838 Collins Street and Sunday the 70th of September, if you're in Melbourne, you're welcome. 1pm to 2pm lunch, Rent Collective members, three other people are, well, we would like you to pay 10 or 15 bucks for lunch. And then the guest speakers, the auction, the list goes on and on. So if you're interested, come along. If you're not a, a member of the West Parkland Rent Collective and you've got a bit of disposable income, a dollar, you've got an extra dollar every day, you can spare, I encourage you to join the West Parkland Rent Collective. You can do that by ringing me on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. And guess what? Your data is not going to be stolen because we don't keep any data and on the Rent Collective members. It's a private vice. Could be gambling. Could be sex. Could be drugs. They're all wasteful. The only private vice you should have is being a member of the West Papua Rent Collective because that causes a lot of headache for this government and the Indonesian government there's a great deal of support for the West Papua independence movement. We continues, continues to have a military capability in the highlands of West Papua, which continues to physically resist West Papua colonisation. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, as I said before, you want to leave messages, 0439 395 489. You can leave a message, you can do an SMS. You can go to the Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, anarchismedia.org, his webpage, Public Interest Before Corporate, pibsy.net, another webpage, YouTube channels, um, what's another? Joseph, YouTube channels, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Oh, another interesting YouTube channel I'm, I'm running these days is one of historical presentations. JosephToscano.nam, N-A-A-R-M, JosephToscano.nam. There's a lot of stuff there. 
And if you don't like any of that stuff, there's many other people involved in that struggle to change culture. You need to change culture, to change attitudes, to gain momentum, to create change. Last but not least, let's talk about green energy. Now, the great thing about fossil fuels, apart from them, you know, creating a little bit of kerfuffle in the atmosphere and making it difficult for human life, is the fact that they're centralised and they're privatised to a significant degree. It's a centralised energy system. It's a privatised energy system. And I've noticed recently... Well, we've been talking about this for bloody years. I mean, I remember I was involved in a demonstration in 1977 for decentralised energy systems. I've noticed that the renewable energy brigade is running down the same pathway. Huge centralised energy systems which are controlled by corporations which are privately owned. And we're seeing all the hedge funds, the hedge funds, the superannuation companies, the private investors run into the renewable energy sector, taking it over, creating a new centralised, privatised energy production. So all the mistakes of the past are being repeated today. Now, as I said before, this is the Anarchist World this week. If you liked the program, good. If you didn't, don't waste your time listening next week. Find something that suits you. I'm sure there's something out there that'll suit you, even if it's on the dark web. But if you are interested, there are a lot of things happening. You can go on the social media, you can give us a ring, you can, you know, I don't know, you can do all these things. It's up to you what you do. But ultimately, stop being part of the murmuring class. There's no point murmuring under your breath because nobody cares. Stop being part of the somebody should do something about that class because if you don't do something, nobody else is going to do it. And what I've noticed about activities over the last 50 years or so is that it always takes one or two people to get the ball rolling. And there is no ball rolling in your part of the world. Maybe you're the one who should get the ball rolling. All right? And tear up your membership card, as I said before, to the somebody should do something about that club, or tear up your membership card by saying, I'm no longer going to do nothing. People are going to listen to me, I'm going to raise my voice. I'm sick of those signs saying don't raise your voice in all these institutions. If you don't listen to me, I don't listen to you. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in next week to The Anarchist World this week. You'll be listening to Joseph Toscano on The Anarchist World this week. Get out there, get going. Minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.